from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my good friend, co-host and producer Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Michael? I'm fine, thank you, and congratulations on the second anniversary of our being together on the Connecting with Walt podcast. Gosh, yeah, it has been two years now. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now the traditional second anniversary gift is cotton. So, of course, we should celebrate with a a gift of Connecting with Walt shirt from Tee Public. I just thought the exact same thing. (laughs) So, oh, and do you uh, watch... um, Adam the Woo, do you follow him on YouTube? I do, yeah, no. So I was I was just one of the many people who was surprised when uh when Bob Gerb popped up in one of his daily vlogs and was wearing the Connecting with Walt shirt again. Yeah, that red Connecting with Walt shirt. Boy, I my uh on that day that happened, my social media um really uh sort of lit up as everybody was posting the video and uh the pictures from it and i got instant messages with links to it so it was wonderful so you know after after adam the woo photobombed us at d23 (laughs) it was was, i feel like okay he's this is this is a nice you know little payback for that yeah it's um, so so funny that it happened yeah so um so yeah some so many thanks to bob gurr for being a connecting with walt fan wearing that shirt so, um, so Craig, what have you been up to since July when we last uh, met, except for that one bonus episode in September? Oh, just, you know, I, everything that's been happening <laughs> with the Diz. It feels like it's been nonstop now for, yeah. for quite a while. So I, I genuinely don't even remember what's been happening, but a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> just go with that. Well, you've had some weather. Yes, we had. I yes. Get, that's right. We had a hurricane yes. somewhere in there, and I mean, hopefully, yeah. as we as we always pre-record these in advance, hopefully, I can say that it was just one hurricane this year. Yes, that's what I'm hoping too. Yes. But I'm glad that everybody on the Diz got through it, and of course, for everybody that is still feeling the effects of all the storms, because as of this recording, there have been multiple storms um, hitting the United States, the Caribbean. Um, some of our territories, um, we just, you know, our, our hearts go out to you and you're in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I, ha- I did have a couple of things going on. Uh, I had a talk. I gave a talk at the Walt Disney Family Museum yeah. um, for the San Francisco City Guides. It was about Walt's, Walt Disney's connections to Northern California. It was entitled... Go North Young Mouse, Walt Disney's Adventures in Northern California. And that was very popular. It went over really well. It was uh, a very daunting experience to, 
you know, be speaking, telling stories about Walt Disney and the building that's dedicated to telling his life story. And it was it was a great honor to be asked by um, a, a Dizzer, who's a listener to this show, um, Eric, who is responsible for continuing education for their um, tour guides. And so, because the tour guides have to take uh, earn a certain amount of credits every year so that they stay current on you know the, the history of San Francisco so the tour guides do make available uh, the city guides make available some opportunities for them to gain these credits and Eric's responsible for that and so um, and actually the funny thing is I met Eric on one of the Diz cruises Oh, really? Years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, and then um, he is a member of the Walt Disney Family Museum. So, we renewed our acquaintance, um, you know, when the museum opened. And then, uh, and just got to be friends. And we were, a few years ago, we were at a talk on the the World's Fairs. Mm-hmm. And and Marty Scalar was actually one of the presenters. And they talked about, you know, it was more about the 64-65 World's Fair, but yeah. somebody gave a, a presentation on the 1939 um, exposition that was on Treasure Island in San Francisco, right. and that Walt had visited the fair, and that sparked an idea by Eric that could could there possibly be, you know, what? how many connections did Walt have to Northern California? And was there enough material to actually do a full-blown presentation? And so Eric and I talked about it. I said, let me do a little research. And I said, sure enough, there was plenty of material out there. So uh, we worked on it. And um, the Walt Disney Family Museum um, offered to be the hosts for the talk. And they were wonderful to work with. And it really went off well. It was a sold-out um, theater. And uh, it, it was a very nice experience. And I'm very grateful to the museum and to Eric and the San Francisco City Guides yeah, for awesome. being wonderful hosts. And so if you're ever in San Francisco, uh, you know, sign up for a San Francisco City Guide tour. It's really fascinating. And San Francisco has a very rich history. And um, speaking of the museum, uh, as we'll talk later on about the Diane Disney Miller Lifetime Achievement Award, we're going to talk, men, give a mention to it later on in this show. They are um, going to have their 2017 gala on November 7th. They're going to honor John Lasseter, who's the chief creative officer at Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios, with the Diane Disney Miller Lifetime Achievement um, Award. So you might want to, if you want to find out more information about this, maybe you want to attend. Uh, you can go on to the um, museum's website, WaltDisney.org, for more information about that. And then just recently, I think both of us have been guests recently on podcasts. I was on the Leaving Today podcast, which debuted a few weeks ago, and they talk about Disneyland, and they had me on as a guest to talk a little about Disneyland, and it was it was we had a really fun time. And awesome. uh, it turns out, yeah, it turns out they are based out of the San Sacramento, California area where I'm at. So that was nice as well. And Craig, yeah. you were on uh, a guest on a podcast as well. 
Yeah, I was. Uh, and not Disney for mine. It was uh, the unofficial Universal Orlando podcast. Uh, just a great team uh, together that uh, really, I mean, they've put in over 200 episodes now about Universal Orlando. I think they have more than any other Universal podcast out there. So just a top-notch top-notch group of people and uh, we did a, a really big tribute on dragon challenge since that was the uh, the attraction that i worked at right before i left universal and came to work for the Diz. so i was able to to share a lot of secrets and stories from behind the scenes and just uh give a general sense of what it was also like to work at universal so if you're even interested in uh you know maybe not the attraction itself but the the day-to-day of what my life kind of was back when i worked at universal definitely check it out and check out some of their other shows so they do a lot of great work especially when it comes to uh, trying to preserve a lot of history with universal that's great yeah and leaving today podcast i'm I'm the feature presentation, so I'm actually towards the end of the podcast after they um, take some listener phone calls. So uh, just to give you a heads up on that, that, that it, it's, a, it's a bit of a lengthy show. It's a fascinating and fun show, but I am towards the, the end of it in case you, you, you're sitting there thinking, well, where is he? Um, like I said, they keep their, their featured um, segment is always towards the end of the podcast. So anyway, and let's put links in our show notes to both of these. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Okay. Imagineering and Disney legend Marty Sklar passed away at his Hollywood Hills home on Thursday, July 27th, 2017, at the age of 83. The announcement of Marty's passing was a surprise to the Disney fan community since he had appeared to be in good spirits 10 days previously at the D23 Expo in Anaheim. Because of Marty's many contributions to the Walt Disney Company and his direct connection to Walt, rather than talking about his career ourselves, Craig and I wanted to have a guest who knew Marty and could speak about him personally. And the first person I thought of was Disney historian, author, and friend of the Diz, Jim Corcus. So, Jim, welcome back to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Well, th- thank you so much. I, I, I guess uh, uh, Diz Unplugged is uh, uh, so frugal they can't uh, bring in someone like a Tony Baxter or whatever to talk about. <laughs> or, or maybe it, it, it's just I'm, I'm the last man standing. People like John Hench, who knew him very well, uh, we've we've lost so many uh, terrific Disney legends, and uh, suddenly I find myself in the unusual situation uh, of being one of the few people who actually got to talk to uh, uh, a lot of these people uh, at length, and now people come running to me and, and say, well, what would Ward Kimball say about this, or what would... And so I feel a great um, uh, obligation to uh, keep telling the stories that they told me that may not be familiar to a a larger audience and uh, uh, to keep it accurate and to keep their Mm -hmm. their memories alive. But, boy, I I never uh, in my life thought I would be in that position or else 
I would have taken uh, much better notes and would have carried a, a, a tape recorder with me everywhere I went. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to do the, the best I can. I uh, uh, have an awful lot of respect and uh, affection for Marty. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, was completely taken by surprise uh, with his passing and on a personal level, I was taken by surprise because I was finishing up my latest book, and he had agreed to do the foreword for it. So uh, that was a surprise. He hadn't started on the foreword. Uh, he was he was about seventy five percent through uh, his third book, and I hope that somebody will uh, uh, pick up the baton there and. Uh, Finish that, finish that up because I, I certainly enjoyed his first two books. Yes, and uh, I, I don't think we can get uh, enough of of Marty and his insights. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to to share some of the stories that uh, I've heard from Marty uh, over the decades. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And how did you come to know Marty Sklar? Well, he owed me money, and no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened and, is before I was a Disney a before I was a Disney historian and before I was a Disney cast member, I was I was a Disney fan and I lived in the Los Angeles area. And um, in the 1980s, uh, which is when I first met Marty, um, uh, there were uh, two fan clubs: the National Fantasy Fan Club, which is now called. Uh, the uh, Disneyana fan club and uh, the Mouse Club, and uh, they held um, show and sales, and they held uh, conventions. In fact, their conventions were so popular that Disney then co-opted and started doing the Disneyana conventions, which I and a lot of other people miss. But anyway, at these conventions, they would uh, invite uh, these people like Bill Evans and uh, Bill Justice and. Mark Davis, all of that, and Marty Scalar uh, was invited, and uh, uh, that was uh, the first time I got to meet him. After the presentation, I went up and just just like a typical Disney fan, gushed about you know, uh, oh you know, I, I, I I'd like to be an Imagineer, and you know, uh, uh, you knew Walt and what was Walt like, and and all of that, and. Uh, he was very patient and, and very gracious and, and actually uh, signed a, a book for me um, because he wrote uh, the original uh, uh, Disneyland uh, book, mm-hmm. uh, 1964 and 1965, that was in the uh, park. It's just called Disneyland. And uh, I think it's credited to Martin uh, Scalar in there. And, and he signed that, and so he was very nice. And then uh, over a period of time, we kept running into each other. So we weren't uh, uh, best buddies, but uh, he did recognize me uh, when he saw me, and he did have a smile on his face when he saw me, so that that was a good thing. And when I moved out to um, uh, Florida to take care of my parents, I started working uh, for Walt Disney World, and uh, he would sometimes come and do presentations for uh, for cast members, or uh, even came out one time and did a, a, a book signing and uh, all of that. And and so every now and then we would hook back up. And I also write a continuing um, uh, column uh, for the um, 
uh, Disney Vacation Club uh, magazine, which is called Disney Files, and uh, he wrote for that uh, as well. And and one of the compliments that I'll take with me to my grave is uh, uh, he told the editor, Ryan March, he, he said, I really love Jim's stuff because it's accurate and it brings back memories. And I thought, how kind, how gracious to, to be able to do that. You know, for the general public, uh, movie and TV stars, sports figures, you know, those are the big celebrities. But for those of us who are Disney fans, uh, it's the Disney animators and the Imagineers who are, are the celebrities. You know, I, I, I think they should ha- have uh, 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 trading cards. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have a, a rookie year trading card of Tony Baxter, Joe Rohde, you know, in my, co- mm-hmm. my collection. And, and certainly Marty Scalar, my gosh, 54 years with, with uh, uh, the company. And, and I will tell you this, too, because I, I, I'm going to present Marty in an honest way. He did not want to go. When uh, they yes, uh, made him that. a, yeah, when they made him the uh, ambassador to Imagineering in 2006, um, Marty said, yeah, they made me uh, 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 president of Rocks and Trees. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that was basically it. He says, they don't invite me to the meetings anymore. I'm not copied on any of the meetings. They're not interested in, in this. But uh, he had become um, so prominent that how do you push out Marty Scalar? Well, the Disney company pushes out people um, by sort of minimizing um, their influence. Uh, so, for instance, uh, they ha- had a film archivist. And instead of firing him, because, again, he was very prominent, he had made all these discoveries, a a lot of those um, uh, uh, special supplements on DVDs and Blu-rays had come from his research, but Disney is a very political organization. They didn't really want him to remain. So one Monday morning he came into his office, and there was a desk and a chair and a phone, and that was it. So he thought, well, it's time for me to go. Well, with Marty, Marty would have stood there until, you know, by golly, you know, he just dropped over. But um, the Disney company decided for whatever reason, uh, no, it's about time for you to to move on. You know, maybe maybe they wanted uh, uh, fresh blood or or a new perspective or more likely. Um, they do like to get rid of those people who, you know, knew Walt and knew Roy because they'll stand up and they'll say, Hey, you know, Walt would have preferred doing it this way. You know, well, that's not cost effective for us. So, um, but, uh, and, and then, you know, he, he stuck it out. He stuck it out till, uh, uh, 2009, um, before he, uh, uh, retired and and uh, Marty was um, what we uh, what we called at Disney a good soldier, and and even after he retired, he was a good soldier. And basically, what that meant was when um, Disney made uh, a change that they felt that the fans might not, you know, 
uh, uh, cheer, uh, they would trot out Marty, who, who could say, well, I actually knew Walt, and Walt probably would have approved of this change. And, and the last time we saw that was when um, Disney made the announcement of the change of the redhead in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now she's a pirate with a musket and, you know, uh, none of the women are for sale and all of that. And sure enough, uh, they, they pulled Marty out to, to, to say, well, you know, Walt never wanted people to feel uncomfortable. So this change is, is probably uh, good. I, I, I ran into that with, um, uh, Carousel of Progress when, uh, when the rumor was that Carousel of Progress was, was going to, to close, and I was writing an article, and I was hoping that Marty would give me a, a a quote of, you know, no, all this needs is some tender, loving care, and and all this, and and what he basically said was, well, you know, I rewrote that final scene at at least twice, and you know, sometimes these uh, uh, attractions no longer meet the entertainment needs of of a modern audience, and I'm going, who is this guy? You worked on this. You worked on this for the World's Fair. You worked on, you know. Well, this is the man who said he would, you know, lie down across Harbor Boulevard before they'd shut down, you know, the submarine voyage. Yes. And (laughs) and, and again, a lot of times he did that um, behind the scenes. Uh, So for, for, um, because he was, he he was very, he had strong opinions. I, I, I remember him. Uh, telling me, boy, we made a mistake with Disney California Adventure. You know, we went on the cheap, and boy, that came back to bite us on the butt. And and I pulled out quotes of his from when Disney California uh, Adventure uh, first opened. You know, of, oh, how this is a new, you know, uh, 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 era for Disney, and what a wonderful. And and so uh, one of the reasons he lasted fifty four years was he understood that Imagineering and Disney is, is a very political organization. I, I always tell people, everybody thinks it's one happy magic kingdom. It's actually a bunch of separate fiefdoms, and, but, and they all report to the same king. But oftentimes, they try to cut the legs out from under other fiefdoms so that they look taller, that they, they look bigger. And, um, you know, in fact, uh, Imagineering almost died when Walt Disney passed away. I, I, I don't know if the two of you know that story or not. I, I knew that it was going to be shut down. Yes. Well, and, and, and the reason why is because it was um, Walt's playground, mm-hmm. and he didn't want non-creative people there. And so Roy Disney had only been there once, maybe twice. Uh, Cardwalker and, and Don Tatum had never been there. And so here you have Walt announcing, you know, we're going to do this Florida project, and the people who are in charge of the company have no idea what Imagineering does and whether they'd be capable of doing any of this. And so um, uh, Marty and John Hench were, uh, a, a, again, a, a team at, 
uh, Imagineering, and we can talk about that, and we can talk about what uh, John uh, told Marty on his very first day in Imagineering. But but basically, they had to, to build this bridge and demonstrate, yes, we can do this project. You know, we want to do this project. And, uh, yeah, because they were going to uh, shut down Imagineering because nobody was quite sure what they did. You know, they, yeah, they, yeah. they were billing, they were billing uh, you know, Walt Disney Productions, you know, an awful lot of money. Um, but nobody knew because, because Walt didn't want the other people there. This, this was his private laughing place for, for that mm-hmm. to happen. And, and so Marty said that that was uh, one of the scariest times because, uh, as you said, uh, it was like, well, we don't know what this is, but it's costing us money. Let's shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Now, for um, some of our, especially our younger listeners who might not fully know about Marty's career, um, how did he get started? Um, okay, no, nope. that, that, that's a great question, and and I'm sure some of your younger listeners have no idea who I am either. But I hope <laughs> to be entertaining enough that they'll keep uh, uh, listening here. Oh, they know um, who you are because they listen to the show religiously. They've heard oh. you before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. I, I, I hope they'll keep uh, uh, listening w- with this. Well, well Marty uh, uh, came from New Jersey to California in, uh, uh, what was it, summer, uh, summer of uh, 1946, because his mother lived in Los Angeles. And so the whole family decided to move out here because, you know, New Jersey, Los Angeles, you know, what, what, what makes better sense here? And his dad uh, became uh, principal of Madison Junior High School in uh, North Hollywood. So those of you in the Southern California area, you can wander by there and go, oh, look at that. And Marty had a, a brother, Bob, who, uh, who became a professor of um, uh, cinema studies at uh, NYU. And he passed away. He, he, he wrote uh, 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 a bunch of books. So, so Marty is coming from a, a family that um, is very uh, uh, academically oriented, very much into uh, reading, very much into into words. And uh, so he went to uh, UCLA, uh, which at that time uh, and still today, very prestigious uh, Southern California uh, school. And he had finished his junior year. And summer was was just starting. Summer of uh, uh, June 1955. He was 21 years old. He was he was going to uh, uh, be a senior when the fall happened, and he was going to be editor of uh, the uh, UCLA uh, uh, student newspaper, the UCLA uh, Bruin. And um, actually, Marty's goal when he was in college was he thought that he was going to end up and be a sports writer for newspapers. I don't, I don't think people knew that. So anyway, uh, one of his classmates was actually in uh, Disney marketing and recommended that Marty be brought in because Walt wanted to have a uh, newspaper, uh, a, a ni- an 1890s-style newspaper uh, for, uh, uh, for Disneyland. And so... Um, uh, Card Walker called and left a message, and Marty thought, oh, yeah, somebody's yanking my chain here. 
who's called card, right? <laughs> must be, it must, must be a card dealer from Las Vegas, you know, like that. I'm not Fortunately, card phoned back and, uh, brought him in and did a, um, a 20 minute, uh, interview, uh, uh, with him which actually was pretty amazing for uh, uh, Card Walker because Card Walker wanted to get, you know, bing, right to the point, and then we go on uh, from there. And so uh, uh, explained, uh, uh, you know, what he wanted, and then uh, Marty met with uh, Walt, and Marty told me, you know, even though he had a brief meeting with Walt, he said, I learned so much from that meeting, first off, I learned that here it is June, the park's going to open in July. I knew there was chaos, <laughs> you know, things weren't being completed, that things weren't getting paid, that, you know, things were, and yet he had time to sit down and talk with me about this 10 cent tabloid, uh, newspaper, you know, that was going to be sold, uh, at, at, at Disneyland. And, and I, I thought, my gosh, this guy, you know, really cares about every detail about uh, Disneyland. And uh, the second thing he learned was that, uh, well, of course, Walt thought of Main Street USA as a real town. It's not an amusement park. It's a real town. And every real small town had its own newspaper. So, uh, having a Main Street USA and not having a newspaper, you don't have a complete story. Uh, you know, uh, you, you need to have all those little details that add to telling the story. And, and Marty said, you know, that type of stuff just stuck in my mind when, when, when I was eventually hired. So he was hired uh, part-time which, uh, in June of 55, uh, which is a month before the park opened. And he had been doing all sorts of odd jobs, you know, to pay for his uh, uh, college. He, he actually uh, was a riveter for a while. He was a, a, a temporary postman, whatever. So anyway, he, he uh, uh, having worked on the school newspaper, he knew, you know, uh, uh, printers in the Los Angeles area and what, who would, might have a 1890s font and, and whatever. And so he put together uh, a dummy first issue and Walt absolutely loved it. And, uh, we need to realize too, that the newspaper was not just for Disneyland. You know, Steve Martin used to sell it out in front of the park. Tom Nabby, who is uh, Tom Sawyer used to sell it out in front of the park. And if you sold a certain number of copies, you were allowed to come into Disneyland for free. So that, that encouraged these, these uh, teenage boys uh, uh, to sell this. But one of the other purposes of the Disneyland News was to put it in uh, local motels and hotels so that people staying there would pick that up. And there were advertisements, you know, for the restaurants in there and the shops and all that. And, and so people would go, well, hey, maybe I should go take a look at this. Well, again, it's a tabloid newspaper. So, you know, it gets it gets torn up, it gets roughed up. And so by 57, uh, Marty was in charge of helping put together a, a magazine called Disneyland Holiday. And uh, then uh, Holiday Magazine threatened to sue so they changed it to vacation land magazine and and that lasted you know for over a decade 
so anyway, Marty Marty does the the um, first issue and oversees you know the continuing uh, issues, but he goes back uh, to UCLA and uh, graduates and then gets hired uh, full time um, uh, September fifty six, and uh, he's uh, put in charge. Uh, the newspaper's still coming out, so he's still doing that as responsibility. But he's put in charge uh, with uh, Disneyland publicity, who, that's over, being overseen by uh, uh, Eddie Mech. And um, at first, he he was in the administration building uh, backstage, which was the old Ron Dominguez house. And then all of publicity moved over uh, to um, City Hall, and they took over the entire second floor and and some of the bottom floor, but since Marty was low man on the totem pole, he was put in the um, uh, police station, which was that little building right next to where the uh, Disneyland tour guides meet now, you know, and, right. and, and have that. Mm-hmm. And and he said it, it was a great learning experience um, because uh, people would wander in <laughs> thinking, you know, this, this is an official office, and I got questions. And he said, I started to learn real quickly, you know, what people didn't know about Disneyland, what they wanted to know. She said, so I could include that in the, in the newspaper, later the magazine, and, and uh, things like that. And um, Walt, apparently, was, was very uh, happy with what he was doing. And uh, Marty told me that... Uh, uh, there were two moments with Walt that just stood out in his memory. Uh, you know, after all the decades, he could he could remember it clearly. He could remember, uh, you know, uh, the sights, the sounds, how he was feeling, whether it was warm that day or whatever. So the first time was uh, Walt came in and uh, uh, he asked me, you know, what I was working on, and I told him, and he looked over at Eddie Mech and he said, you know, I think we need to find something more important for this boy to do. Mm-hmm. And so by the uh, start of 61, uh, Walt had moved him over, um, or at least put him on loan to um, WED, which became Imagineering. And uh, uh, that's when uh, Marty started to write um, uh, Walt's uh, introductions to stockholders reports and sometimes some speeches and bits and pieces like that. He, he uh, um, uh, didn't, bec- and, and again, if you read these uh, obits of Marty, he says, yes, I moved over to Imagineering in 61. Well, he, he didn't move over full-time until uh, uh, 1964. And then um, uh, a decade later, in 74, Marty became um, uh uh, an Imagineering vice president for concepts and planning. And um, then in uh, 87, uh, for about a decade, he served as the president and vice chairman of, of Imagineering. Now, a lot of uh, people are listening to this, and, and one of the things that when I was working at Walt Disney World is they would constantly send uh, people to me who wanted to be a Disney animator because I had some background and experience in that and people who wanted to be Imagineers. And, uh, there, there was a whole misconception about Imagineering. I, I, I had 20 year olds come in and go, yes, I could sit in a room and dream up ideas. And, and I'm saying, no, that's 
there's more to imagineering oh, yeah, a whole lot you know, that, than that. You know, you, you don't only have to come up with the idea. The other part of it is engineering. You, you have to come up with the engineering uh, concept, and you have to do it within budget. You know, but and engineering means something just as simple as if the attraction breaks down, how do people exit the ride vehicles? You know, do you have lights come up on the ground like they do in the aisle on a on an airplane or whatever? You know, one of the funniest things, of course, was uh, when Disneyland opened uh, in in '55, uh, 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 right before it opened. Uh, Admiral Joe Fowler went on the uh, Snow White's uh, uh, Adventures a- attraction, and, and uh, uh, Walt said, "Well, how did you enjoy it?" And, and, and Fowler says, "Well, it's great if you want to change the name to uh, Snow White Goes to Hell." And Walt <laughs> says, "What? Do you, there was no air conditioning in there. <laughs> they had never thought ahead about air conditioning, and the heat was just building up in there." So. So as an Imagineer, you have to keep in, in mind all of these things. And interestingly enough, Walt said uh, Imagineering is the blending of creative imagination and technical know-how. Marty Scalar wrote that quote. Uh, when you look at Small World and the happiest cruise to ever sail around the world, Marty Scalar wrote that slogan. When you talk about Walt Disney World uh, being the vacation kingdom of the world, Marty Scalar wrote that. And and so when you're in Imagineering, there's uh, 140 different disciplines. So you, you so you could be a show writer, you could be a show producer, you could be a show director. Uh, there, there's all sorts of, of, of different categories that, that go through there. And so um, when, when people say, oh, well, Marty Scalar, Imagineer, immediately I think what comes to people's mind is, oh, well, he designed these attractions. No. Uh, it, he was a writer, you know, and so uh, writing is very important and, and storytelling is very important. And, um, in fact, his very first day, uh, he told me at uh, uh, imagine, uh, Imagineering, uh, he met John Hench, and the two became great friends and great partners, uh, did a lot of things, and, and Hench, wonderful designer. And uh, Hench said to him, and he remembered this, Hench said, you know, this is not an I business, it's a we business. And Hench explained to him, because Hench had come from animation, that animation was a collaborative art. You know, you can say, well, Mark Davis did Maleficent. Well, yes, he did. He came up with that design, but then you have someone else doing the voice. You have an assistant animator. You have a cleanup artist. You have ink and, ink and paint. You have a writer who gives Maleficent all these wonderful words to say. So it's very hard to put your finger and say, I did this. You know, because so many different talents contributed uh, to making that. And and that was true at Imagineering, even though uh, I fall into that same trap and say, whoa, well, this obviously was the work of uh, Claude Coates, and this was obviously the the work of uh, Harper Goff and, and whatever. Basically, yes, but also 
other people did other things that made that happen. So the Jungle Cruise, yes, Harper Goff is coming up with this concept of a Jungle Cruise, and you're not really going to see the uh, animals clearly, and he's coming up with the design of the uh, boat, which is based after the Humphrey Bogart movie uh, African Queen that he just loved. But then you've got this beautiful landscaping by Bill Evans. You've got somebody else writing the spiel for the uh, uh, jungle skippers and all of that. So, you know, it's a very collaborative uh, uh, thing. In, in, fact, in fact, I had a, a friend who, uh, uh, I have a lot of friends who were, who were Imagineers and then got laid off. But uh, uh, one of them, he, he said his, his first day, uh, Marty met him and he said, look, I just want you to remember one thing. When you come to work here, there's only one name on the front door, and it ain't yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're going to, yeah, you know, uh, if, if uh, you know, uh, if the satisfaction you get is from contributing, you know, to the overall team, you know, uh, uh, taking that, and 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 I think uh, uh, if you ever heard Marty speak and all that, um, I I don't really remember him using the word I an awful lot, you know, mm-hmm. I did this and I did, you know, a, a, a lot of it was, you know, at, at best at, or at worst, it was, you know, well, John and I went into RCA, you know, to pitch this idea, you know, it wasn't right. like, yes, I came that, up that with was, this idea. That was one that I always noticed. It was always we, you know, if mm-hmm. he rarely used I, and, you know, when you're talking about writing, when one of the talks I heard him give at the Walt Disney Family Museum, he was talking mm-hmm. about writing for Walt. And one of the clips he showed was, you know, for the 10th anniversary, you know, when Walt is taking the first Disneyland ambassador, Julie Reams, mm-hmm. through, through, you know, what's set uh, through up the exhibit, the yeah. yeah. And, and he's, uh, he said, you know, we had a whole script. I had a whole script written for Walt. He said, Walt approved it. We had people standing with, you know, all of the words written on cards so Walt mm-hmm. could follow along. He said, you can tell by people's reactions. Walt just ad-libbed his way through the whole thing. And people mm-hmm. weren't, you could tell by the looks on their faces. He was saying things they weren't quite prepared for. And, and, and after, so then he showed us the clip and, and, and Walt, you know, and it's noticeable, isn't joke. it? It's very noticeable. And Walt ad-libbed a couple of jokes, and then Marty just... Marty had a very wry sense of humor, and he just said, you try writing for that man. <laughs> and, but, you know, the interesting thing is, he, he said it with such affection. And anytime yes. I heard speak about Walt, that affection and admiration he had for him was so clear. And and they, they seemed to have an easygoing working relationship, and Marty seemed to intuitively understand what Walt wanted. And I always wonder, did Walt and Marty have any similar qualities that maybe created a, a unique bond between them? I, I, I think it was basically that Marty was a great listener. Because Walt could uh, be tremendously inarticulate. He could, he, he could get you very excited and all of that, but oftentimes he left these, these big gaps in things, or or as Marty always liked to say, Walt always liked to use the word uh, things, you know? Yes, in the Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the pirates are going to take this town, and they're going to 
set this on fire and, and there's going to be some exciting things. And he said, so whenever I wrote for Walt, I said it in the word things. Um, <laughs> but, but, and, and he was talking about, uh, because Marty uh, of course wrote the, uh, 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 script for, uh, uh, the Epcot film which actually the official title is Walt Disney's Epcot 66, but never, nobody ever uses that title. And he said, you know, when we were filming that, Walt would ad lib. You know, that, that, that whole point, I'm six miles high, we're sitting there going, where'd that come from? That's not a sort of, there's nothing here. He says, you know, Walt wanted it to seem natural. He wanted it to seem as it was in his own words as it came across. And he said, you know, years later, I pulled out, I, I had written seven pages of notes, and as I was starting to read over them, I go, I didn't write that script at all. Walt wrote that script. These are all of Walt's words. And, and so, you know, I, I, again, he, he, he said he felt a, a greater impact when Walt died than even when his father died, and, and that was not to diminish, diminish uh, the death of his father, but the fact that he never had to think like his father. He had to think like Walt. Mm-hmm. What would Walt say? What does Walt want to say? How does he want this said and all that? And I talked with Marty because he also did some writing for Roy. And he said, oh, it was a lot tougher for Roy. He says, because I could never get into how he was thinking. And so Marty, of course, wrote, um, uh, was given only an hour. We, we was pulled in on, on the day that Walt passed away, um, uh, uh, December 15th, 1966, and he was pulled in just, you know, a half hour, hour after, you know, they knew that Walt w- was dead, and they shoved him in a room, and they said, you've got to write the statement for Roy Disney, but you can't talk to, to Roy. Roy is sequestered and in mourning <laughs> the whole bit. And Marty says... That is the one moment at Disney that still makes me the angriest. Mm-hmm. He said they should have known that Walt, you know, w- was not doing well and should have had something prepared in advance. And again, Marty had worked for newspapers, and, and I've wor- worked for newspapers, and they actually have a file of, you know, looks like Groucho Marx isn't going to last much longer. Why don't we do a rough obit for this, and then, you know, when he dies... It's there, ready to go, and you can put in, you know, a, a different lead paragraph or something like that. Nothing was prepared, and so um, Marty had to uh, to write that, and Roy signed off on it. Uh, Marty actually wrote the um, uh, dedication plaque for the Magic Kingdom that Roy read, and uh, uh, um, you know, and and includes the the line that this is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, dedicated. This is an example of the uh, a tribute, a tribute to the life and philosophy of Walt Disney. And then Marty co-wrote uh, the dedication plaque for uh, uh, Epcot. But yeah, this was this was stuff. Now Marty was never best buddies with Walt. In, in fact, uh, I don't know whether Walt had any best buddies. You know, uh, at the 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 studio. You know, privately. Uh, uh, friends he would have over to his house were like uh, the Art Link Letters, uh, Dinah Shore and her husband George Montgomery, uh, the K. Kaisers, uh, Spencer Tracy uh, uh, was a friend. Um, uh, but you know, really not 
studio contacts because Walt, uh, as he got older, felt there needed to be a distance between him and the staff in terms of an employee, uh, employer, you know, uh, distance there. So, so that there's no conflict of, uh, of interest, you know, gee, you're my friend. How come you're not giving me a, a, a raise here? But, uh, Walt had respect, uh, for Marty knew that Marty could do these things. And, you know, one of the things that doesn't occur to people, Marty Scalar was Jewish. And mm-hmm. not only oh, was yeah, he Marty's Jewish, very open about that. Yes. Not only was he Jewish, he was very Jewish. And, and so, you know, all of these complaints that Walt Disney was anti-Semitic, you know, uh, Marty, uh, you know, cause I asked Marty about that. Uh, I asked Joe Grant, who was also Jewish. I asked the, uh, the Sherman brothers, Robert, uh, uh, no, Richard, Richard told, yeah, Richard told me, he, he said, look, nobody was more Jewish than us and Walt didn't care, you know, and Marty told me the story that, um, one time it was, it was the high holy days. And um, Walt had tried to reach him and couldn't because, you know, uh, you're sequestered during that time. And he said, when I got back to the office, I I called up and I got his secretary, Tommy Wilk. And I said, well, what did you tell Walt? uh, What did Walt say when you told him I was celebrating Yom Kippur? And he said she didn't hesitate. She said, Walt said, well, that's where he should be with his family. And that was it. You know, and and so all of this nonsense that oh well, Walt was anti-Semitic. You know, I I saw that on Family Guy. I saw that on, on Robot Chicken. Whatever, that, that was not the case whatsoever. Yeah. Here here he here he's got you know, and and as you said, Walt uh, Marty made no, uh, it didn't try to hide being you know Jewish. You know, uh, some people did because the, there was all of that uh, uh, backlash. And and Walt just said no. Walt felt as long as you can do the job, I don't care. You know, is something that many people to this day don't realize. Bob Gurr was gay, mm-hmm. and you know, again, I I talk with Bob. Bob's a Bob's a good friend, and he said didn't make any difference to Walt. It wasn't a big deal. He said, as long as I did what I, I needed to get done, that was fine with him. He, he felt it wasn't any of my business. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. and yet now that I, I guess I'm all steamed up because I, I, I saw uh, the rerun of that uh, the PBS, PBS American Experience yeah. documentary. I, I wouldn't and, watch and, it And again. Bob told me the best way of watching that, Jim, is turn off the sound and yeah. just watch the yeah. images, which are great, which are uh, amazing things I had never seen before. But it, it was obvious that the filmmakers had already gone in with um, An uh, a pre-planned agenda. You know. Yeah, we've talked about that on this show, and um, yeah, I heard Richard Sherman. I, I know we're getting off on a tangent. I heard Richard mm-hmm. Sherman um, when I heard him speak, and and he addressed this issue, and he said um, once, and and he didn't. Walt didn't know. Richard had heard this, but mm-hmm. um, they Walt had been stopped in a hallway by one a, a lawyer, and I don't know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. But one one of the Disney lawyers, yeah, yeah. He made a derogatory statement about the Sherman brothers being Jewish, and yes. um, Walt dismissed him right then and there. Yes, yeah, without hesitation. Yeah, you know, and and again, you know, there were people working at the Disney studio who were uh, 
uh, anti-Semitic. But, uh, you know, oftentimes Walt didn't know that, 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 that sometimes people who uh, were of the Jewish faith were, were getting, you know, the cold shoulder or, or a, 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 a snarky remark or, or whatever. And, and none of it ever came from Walt. And we're really not off topic because Marty Scalar loved the Sherman brothers. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, that's why, you know, uh, uh, one of his books is called One Little uh, Spark uh, there. And in fact, when Epcot was being built, uh, Marty goes, look, it's been years since we've had an attraction that had, you know, uh, uh, a, a theme song or whatever, bring back the Sherman Brothers. And so uh, Epcot uh, uh, revitalized using uh, uh, memorable theme songs in um, uh, Disney attractions. And unfortunately, some of the theme songs they wrote aren't, aren't, aren't there anymore. I, I, I remember the one for the uh, uh, Kodak uh, Pavilion, you know, uh, stamp of, I, I, Making I, Memories? The, yes, Making Memories. Uh-huh, yeah. Love That's that cute song. One. Yeah. Once in a while, you, you know, hear it in the Magic Kingdom, a Main Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, but, but people don't know where it comes from. So. Yeah. <laughs> so no. uh, anyway, in, in terms of uh, for young listeners, uh, Marty Scalar was the only person in the Disney Company to be at the grand opening of all twelve Disney theme parks worldwide. And uh, he, he pretty much contributed um, significantly to, I, I would say, at least nine of them, mm-hmm. you know. And also, over the years, he's, he's mentored, I would say, at least two different generations of um, theme park designers who either work for Disney or work uh, uh, outside uh, uh, the company. And, and, and I know Bob Rogers is a huge fan uh, uh, of what Marty did there. So, now after so what Walt's, else do you want to talk well, about about Marty? Well, well, after Walt's passing in 1966, you know, Marty carried on Walt's philosophy of design, creativity, you know, exploring new technology, um, putting guest experience first in the parks and resorts. So, in your mm-hmm. opinion, who's had more influence on the parks, Walt Disney or Marty Sklar? Well, I, I, I think that's an easy question. It, it's obviously Walt, because what Marty was doing was he was trying to reinforce what Walt did. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, th- that's where the Mickey Ten Commandments come from. You know, uh, so Marty wasn't trying to put his own um, uh, fingerprint uh, on, on things. He, he was basically, how would Walt have done this? What would Walt have wanted and and so that's why the Walt impact is is much more significant than uh, uh, Marty's impact, at, at at least in in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it seemed like Marty also shared Walt's optimism, and he worked to keep Walt's optimism mm. in the attractions and in the parks. Yes, yes, and and you know uh, we were talking about the American Experience um, uh, documentary and. It, it, it's trying to paint Walt as uh, this dark soul who is who is struggling against the darkness, and that really wasn't who Walt was. You know, what Walt was all about optimism—that it's a, a great, big, beautiful tomorrow 
shining mm-hmm. at the end of every day. And, and, and as Marty uh, said, the whole concept of Epcot was uh, optimism, that the mm-hmm. future is going to be better. And if you give people uh, you know, the right information, the right tools, they're good, and they're, they'll use those and, and make the, 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 the future better. And, and, and I think optimism is another thing that uh, kept Marty there for, for longer than, than some of the others who were, you know, uh, shown the door. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering, because, you know, he he had to work and consider the interests of various CEOs of the company, the leadership of the theme park, sponsoring corporations, you know, Imagineers, stockholders, park guests. I I always wondered, how did he manage to do this and remain with the company for 54 years? Uh, Obviously, he (laughs) knew what he he was doing. And and again, one of one of his, uh, you know, we say, well, he didn't design an attraction. One, One of his major. Uh, responsibilities was being a liaison uh, uh, to these uh, uh, companies like RCA and uh, uh, United Technologies and 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 all of this and and you know um, and he could be firm you know we we're, we're talking about the that uh, uh, maintaining the Walt Disney approach is that um, you know that if you take a look at attractions it's um, living seas presented by United Technologies. The, the, uh, the name of the company that is sponsoring the attraction is always secondary. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's a good thing because sometimes, you know, uh, sponsors and lessees, you know, uh, move. And, and where Marty learned that was from watching Walt at the 64-65 uh, uh, World's Fair and how Walt dealt with these companies. And so Marty was then mimicking that and and imitating that uh when they were uh, bringing in um uh participants and lessees and sponsors for uh uh for Epcot. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that was one of his first big jobs too, wasn't it? Was getting the sponsors for the 6465 World's Fair. Yes, yes. Too. Yeah. You know, and 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 again, it, it's not an 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 easy uh, uh, job. You know, one of the uh, um, familiar stories. And and again, you know, oftentimes that's why I'm glad I have this opportunity to tell some of these stories because while Marty was alive, it was like, well, those are Marty's stories to tell. You know, and he's out and he's doing a, a lot of interviews, especially when the books came out, and and you know, a lot of presentations. You mentioned the. Uh, Walt Disney Family Museum, but uh, he was he was all over the the place, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and a very very engaging uh, speaker. And and you're right, he he had that uh, uh, great sense of wit. And and if you looked at his, his face, there was almost sort of that mischievous expression, you know. Yes, <laughs> it was like a little every... boy sort of mischievous grin that he would have. Y- yeah. Yes, all, almost like well, I maybe I put my hand in the cookie jar here. Um, but, but the whole thing about, um, uh, Space Mountain was, it was not originally going to be Space Mountain. It was going to be uh, a trip through a computer and, and they went to RCA, uh, he and John Hench, you know, to pitch this and they had like nine storyboards set up and, uh, all of this. And, and so they're ready to go. And then, uh, General Sarnoff comes in and they go, well, General Sarnoff, uh, 
uh, sits at the head of the table, which was like a mile away. And so, you know, they don't want to say anything. So they're going through the, the, this whole, uh, uh, pitch and Sarnoff writes a little note, folds it up, hands it to the person next to him. He looks at it and, you know, passes down the row and then eventually gets to Marty and he opens up the note and it says, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he hadn't even been told, you know, well, this is Disney and they're pitching this idea and, and, and all of that. And so Marty was steamed and, um, uh, uh, he and John, you know, uh, were commiserating, uh, later. And, and then Marty says, you know, the mistake we made is we're trying to give them what they think they want. What we should do is we should give them the best thing that we've got. And so uh, John had done up uh, a design of uh, uh, Space Mountain for a spaceport that, mm-hmm. that Walt had wanted to include in uh, uh, Tomorrowland at, at Disneyland. And so they put this together, and then they went back, and they insisted that Cardwalker and Don Tatum come with them. And they set up uh, the boards and all this, and um, they looked and they said, uh, they were told again, well, you know, General Sarnoff sits at the head of the day. Marty says, I'm talking to the person who's sitting in this chair right here. If General Sarnoff's up there, my back's going to be towards him. And so <laughs> what they did is they came in and they filled up all the chairs except that one. And somebody said, well, uh, Mr. Sarnoff, uh, uh, the Disney people would like you to sit there. And Sarnoff goes, oh, yeah, fine. <laughs> there. And, and they pitch him uh, uh, Space Mountain. And, you know, goes, it goes over uh, uh, tremendously, you know. And, and Marty got very upset. You know, he, he says, we shouldn't call these things rides, mm-hmm. you know. He, sa- he, he says those vehicles are not a ride. They're a way of taking people through the story. There are different ways of taking people through a story. The vehicle is just the way in this attraction that you take people through the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not a ride. You know, a marketing was originally going to call Star Tours Star Rides. <laughs> and Marty led, you know, a vehement, uh, you know, discussion of we do not have rides here. And then Imagineer uh, uh, Tom Fitzgerald, who I think was... Either show director or show producer came up with the term Star Tours, but it was going to be called Star Rides uh, for that to happen. And, and again, I, I, I think the uh, uh, lasting legacy uh, of Marty is not just um, those contributions he made, uh, but the philosophy about theme park design, the philosophy of... of uh, uh, Disney. And, um, you know, we see that he writes about it in his books, thank heavens. And, and he, he loved doing that at, at the speeches. And he, he, he said a wonderful example, which, which I loved. And then later he told me where it came from. And, uh, I, I'm sure we've heard lots of Marty philosophies. One of them of is of course, you know, the blank page, Mm-hmm. You know, the blank page uh, can be one of the most frightening things in the world because there's nothing on it. And and as a writer, I will tell you that 
that when I uh, when I start writing and that page is absolutely blank, there's nothing for me to <laughs> there's nothing. I go, holy heck, what? Uh, how am I going to start? Where am I going to go? Or Marty says you can look at it as there's nothing on it, so there's endless possibilities. And and he continually brought up that example, and I thought that is so cool. And um, one time after a speech, I, I, I was sitting and I was talking to him, and I said, that is so cool. How did you come up with that? And he said, well, he said, uh, I was on the uh, uh, Board of Education for the Anaheim uh, uh, City Schools. I said, I didn't know. He said, oh, yeah, I, I, I was on there twice. And uh, I was pre- board president. And, and he said, I also was working with the uh, Anaheim uh, uh, City Library. Uh, at, at, at the uh, same time, and, and we came up with um, this writing competition for, the, for this young man who uh, had passed away from uh, uh, cancer, and, and that writing competition, creative writing uh, competition, lasted at least 25 years. I hope it's still going on now that Marty's no longer there. And he said, so the first year, for the first award ceremony, I brought down Ray Bradbury, and Ray Bradbury talked, and everybody's all excited. He says, but now we've got to do it a second year, you know, and how do you top Ray Bradbury, you know, <laughs> talking about writing? He said, so I decided, okay, I'll bring down, you know, um, some of the Imagineers, you know, a, a small group, a half dozen of the Imagineers, and, and, and they can talk, and, and you know, we'll tie it in with creativity and, and all this. And so he says, you know, getting Imagineers to agree on it, <laughs> Is is next to impossible. Sir, sitting and you know, debating back and forth. And he said, uh, uh, one of the guys in the communications uh, 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 division came with a uh, sheet of paper, and on it he had printed the most frightening thing in the world. And I looked at that and I thought, yes, yes. And and I'm talking with these other people, and then uh, Walt Paragoy. And and for those of you who don't know Walt Paragoy, you should, you know, you should Google him and 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 all that. He was a background artist on uh, a couple of the uh, Disney animated features like uh, 101 Dalmatians and Sword in the Stone, and and then he became an Imagineer. He's the one who designed the um, uh, mosaic that goes into the land at mm-hmm. uh, uh, at Epcot, uh, among other things. But um, he, and so Paragoy has, has this fiery temper, and he, he's a maverick. And Marty says he slammed his hand down on the table, and he says, if that's what we're talking about, I'm not going. And Marty goes, well, what are you talking about? And, and he says, no, the blank piece, piece of paper, this is the most amazing thing in the world. He says, because nobody has made a mark on it, so you don't have to you know, adjust uh, to something or adapt to something that's there. And he says, and if you give that blank piece of paper to a kid, he says, it's not enough. They'll go beyond the borders of the paper, you know, because they've got so much that they want to do and all of that. And so Marty took those two concepts and joined them together. And that's how that, that wonderful Marty story <laughs> that's out there that, that, that we go, uh, go through is like, Okay, that that works for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
You know, now in the last few years, and we were talking about this earlier, we've experienced the passing of many who work directly with Walt Disney. Um, what effect do you think the loss of this institutional knowledge and direct connection with Walt will have on the company as it moves into the future? Ah, oh, uh, not a great one. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, we lose these people. Like last year, we la- lost uh, Jack Lindquist, and he mm-hmm. was in the middle of doing another book. And we lost Charlie Ridgway, and he was in the middle of doing another book. Uh, and so, you know, there's not a lot of uh, time left. Most of these uh, people really do have uh, expiration dates because if they knew Walt, even if they knew Walt, you know, when they were like 20, you know, they're in their 80s or 90s now. Um, and uh, everybody that I interviewed who knew Walt felt that there was just this sense of awe about him. He, he, he didn't promote this. He, he really tried to promote himself as sort of a common man and, and would sometimes, you know, misbutton his coat or his sweater or whatever, or crumple up his hat or whatever. So he, he seems like a regular guy. So you can talk to him, which is what he wanted. Um, but there was just this, you know, we're going to do this and the guest comes first and quality comes first, you know, don't tell me, uh, uh, you know, I, I, when they were working on uh, uh, Walt Disney World, I, I, I think uh, uh, Joe Fowler told him at one meeting, but Walt, this is going to cost us uh, uh, $2 million. And, and Walt blew up at him and said, you know, don't bother me about inconsequential things. Yeah. <laughs> what we need is, you know, is this. And um, he also brought out the best I- I- in people, but but there was that very very solid, you know, the guests are 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 the ultimate I- importance, and you need to put yourself in the guests' uh, uh, shoes. I remember him telling uh, uh, John Hench, you know, if the guests don't get the story, it's not their fault; it's our problem that we didn't tell that story clearly. And then quality. You know, you do the quality and people will pay you back. And already we've seen those two aspects being chipped away and chipped away. And, um, you know, as a result of, uh, uh, you know, we need to to balance, you know, uh, cost effectiveness with creativity. And and you start to see Disney... uh, uh, buying more and more things, you know, off the shelf, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in the parks, uh, uh, especially, you know, and, uh, you see Disney looking to, um, instead of create new franchises, purchase franchises, whether it's the Muppets or Marvel or, or Star Wars or whatever, and, and then work on that instead of, you know, tapping into your uh, creative people. When I started work at Walt Disney World in 1995, there were 2,000 Imagineers. Today, there's maybe about two dozen. All the others are uh, independent contractors. Mm-hmm. Many of them were Imagineers who were, who were laid off. And, and, and if you have somebody from the outside come in, they're not going to have that same level of investment 
And uh, I've, I've seen uh, a good friend of mine is Sully Sullivan, um, who worked uh, uh, 49 and a half years for Walt Disney uh, uh, Company. And I said, Sully, 49 and a half years, you couldn't have held out six more months <laughs> to go for the... He says, no. He, he says, what I saw happening and all that, he says... I left when I had to leave. I couldn't. I couldn't handle it anymore. And he and he just doesn't go back into the parks anymore. Um, you know. And so I think uh, losing some of these people, and and especially losing, you know, Marty Sklar. And 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 sometimes I didn't like the fact that he he was playing, you know, uh, good soldier, and 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 was always trying to say, well, Walt never wanted this to be a museum. Well, but you know. Walt had a respect for certain things, and he never took anything out unless he put something ten times better, you know, in its place. And I'm not seeing that happen. Uh, but Marty was one of the, those final voices to say, you know, Walt would probably because we can make a guess what the Walt of 1966 might have said. Although even then, he surprised people. What the Walt of 2017 would do, who knows? Right. right. Uh, with all this technology and all of this, we know that Walt would have been involved with all of that. Disney would have been involved with uh, the social media 20 years ago, you know, uh, if if Walt was still around, but and and very, more effectively than it is today. But uh, I think with the passing of people like Marty and uh, Jack and Charlie and 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 so many others who actually knew Walt, actually worked with Walt, and um, got that. Uh, pixie dust of not only this is how we do it but this is why we do it this way and and i don't see that in the training now at at, at walt disney world uh, uh traditions training for new hires used to be uh three days and that included a trip into the park as well to physically see you know the things that they were hearing in the classroom now uh, traditions is down to four hours. Yeah, that's oh, what well. I've they'll heard. pick it up once the, they'll pick it up once they're in the parks. No, they won't. Or they'll pick up you know uh, the wrong things from from cast members who are, who are who are there. You know, and let me get my grumpy old man cane out and, and wave it in the <laughs> air. Get those kids off my lawn. That music's too loud. Um, but but I but I think we're going to see. And we already are seeing, you know, a, a much different Disney theme park experience. Now, granted, that audience has changed. And the stories they want to hear and how they want it told are different. But for me, something like Pirates of the Caribbean or, or even Small World still work. You know, they're still classic. I still get value, and it's something for, you know, what Walt wanted, everybody. So you don't divide uh, uh, people. You know, I, I think one of the challenges that Disney is facing now is that uh, technology uh, divides people. And, and it's not just those uh, um, iPhones and, and apps and, and things like that. Uh, I, I think of... Uh, 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 Pandora, when you when you have the Banshee ride, mm -hmm. there are some people who literally cannot ride that attraction. You know, 
it, it will do things to them physically that, you know, and in, and in Walt's day, that wasn't the case. Well, I guess the teacups, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stay away from the teacups. But, uh, you know, even then you could go on the teacups and not, not spin the center, uh, 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 disc and, and, and have a pleasant experience there. But, uh, now we have, you know, so many limitations and all that, that, that we're dividing up that experience and, uh, we're pricing people out, uh, uh, of things I, er, earlier this day, earlier today, I went with, uh, uh, my brother to the studios, which to my dying day, I will call the MGM studios, <laughs> uh, because I wanted to see the, uh, Walt Disney presents, which is the new, uh, version of, of one man's, uh, dream there. And I also wanted to see voyage of the little mermaid. Cause I had heard that that's on the chopping block. Um, and as as we're driving in, you know, there's that uh, big sign, you know, premium parking is available today for forty bucks. It's like, really? <laughs> I guess people must be paying that. That's why you're offering that. But I don't think Walt would have wanted that type of uh, elite separation. But again, saying that the company would not be as financially successful today if Walt was in charge because Walt would have invested everything back into the park. And so there would have been nothing for the, the stockholders except, you know, nickels and dimes, uh, type of thing. Um, where's that grumpy old man Kane? Not only is that music loud, I can't understand the lyrics. Get out of here. Get out of here. But, but I, but I think the Disney theme park experience is going, if I want to, if I want to be, Marty Scalar, good soldierish. I, I would say it's going to be a different experience here in the future. Now that we have left uh, those who um, continued to carry, you know, Walt's torch, um, and and for me, uh, but I'm an old guy. I'm I'm saddened by that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so am I. So. Um... But it, it'll be interesting to see how it how it transforms. But um, now, as you as you mentioned earlier, um, Marty retired from the Walt Disney Company and Walt Disney Imagineering on July seventeenth, two thousand and nine, which was Disneyland's fifty fourth anniversary. And he was honored mm-hmm. with a window on Main Street USA in Disneyland on his final day. And it is in Disneyland City Hall, where his office was located, that you had mentioned. Um, right. In, in and he's also got a, 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 a window at the other parks too. Ma- uh, uh, Magic Kingdom uh, mm-hmm. has has one. Uh, uh, Tokyo Disneyland, which he he uh, uh, loved, and and he said, uh, you know what 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 we learned at uh, uh, Tokyo Disneyland was, uh, you know, things don't uh, uh, always translate. Um, he says, so on the jungle cruise, he said, interestingly enough, he says, uh, the joke about the mother-in-law still gets a laugh, <laughs> but other <laughs> things didn't. So we had to bring in people from, um, uh, from outside to, you know, uh, uh, uh rewrite it in the idiom, uh, of that, uh, uh, of that culture, you know, and, uh, 
You know, I, I think if people want to remember Marty uh, for a particular project, the, the particular project obviously should be Epcot. You know, and um, the first time he visited Florida, you know, he was a California boy. First time he visited Florida was October 67. Uh, went out on, on uh, you know, Mickey Mouse 1, that Gulfstream 1. He was 33 years old. And he he said, yeah, you know, he came out with John Hench and uh, 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 I think uh, Dick Irvine, who was uh, head of uh, WED at that point and and all of that. And he said, and then they left and they left me there. (laughs) And and he had to spend three days flying over the property on a helicopter, uh, taking pictures and and motion pictures and and all that. And, And at that time, there was only a uh, hundred acres that had been uh, cleared uh, for the Magic Kingdom. Everything else was this uh, jungle, bug-filled swamp, you know, which is why he's doing it, you know, from the uh, from the helicopter up there. Um, but uh, after Magic Kingdom opened, you know, he and Hench, uh, uh, you know, really pushed. Uh, for Epcot and and Epcot and World Showcase were supposed to be actually two separate locations. The monorail was supposed to stop between them. Mm-hmm. So one day you would take the monorail, and when you got off, you went to the right and you went to Future World, and then the next day you took the monorail and you went to the left and you went to World Showcase. But what was happening is there was not enough money. Um, uh, you know, and they couldn't find enough sponsors. So for the final pitch, basically what happened is Marty shoved the Future World model and Hench shoved the World Showcase model so that they came together. And then Hench went to his room and got a can of blue paint and painted a lake in between the middle of them. And <laughs> and they and they sold it. Uh, uh, that way, although th- they did have to take out, you know, some elements because again, it 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 it's uh, the cost there. But uh, that w- that was it. And and while Marty said that, you know, he loved Disneyland because again, that's the first park, that's the park where Walt w- walked, that was the first park, you know, he saw open and all of that. He he said a very close second. The the one that I really love is is I love Epcot. And one of the reasons I love Epcot is because it's very different than uh, any other Disney park, at, at, at least when it, when it was built and for many years, because it provided real stories, real information. Um, you know, it, it wasn't magic and fantasy and, and, and all of that. It, it was information. And, and he said the two pavilions that he absolutely loved was the land and living with the seas. And the reason for that is because you could actually see, go into those pavilions and see things being done. You could see plants being grown and the hydroponics and, and all that. And in the living seas, you could see how they were taking care of the, uh, the fish and, and, and all of that. And he said that that was very much what Walt wanted, was that showcase. And, and he said, so... Um, I'm I'm so proud of that and and he and and then he said, you know, Animal Kingdom came along later and and did something similar. He said, but Epcot was there first and and it it could have been so much more, but you know it, it was what it was. 
I know when I talked to him about it a few years ago, he was very disappointed that Future World was um, turning away from the information educational part yeah. of of its mission. And he thought they could get it back. They could do it. They did it right. Well, well but, it, 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 talk to me. I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to have you on my podcast here, but why don't we have you tell us about uh, your encounters with Marty and, and your impressions? Oh gosh! Well, I sort of, I, I sort of talked about them you, as I You sort I of agreed this. with some of the ones that I, I did, but, but, yeah. but do you ha- do you have a favorite Marty story? Do you have a, oh, a, a, a if if uh, uh, twenty years from now a, a, a young Disney historian comes up to you and and says, "What was Marty Scalar like in person?" What would you say? For me, it was it, what really struck me was his sense of humor. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I love because he had that little little hint of sarcasm yes, in there yes. that, that I have, I really appreciated, um, uh, but I I just have to say it was just his his dedication to Walt and Walt's philosophy and of what of what the parks were about, mm-hmm. and and that he just that he really wanted to carry that on. And, that, and, and he uh, he always seemed to have that sense of authority that he he really did seem to know what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he had and he had this ability, like you were saying earlier. He he got in Walt's head, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that, that that that's remarkable. And I think that's why when Walt passed away, I, I, I think that I mean, it just shook him to its to his core. To his core, and and yeah. and I think, I think it still did decades later. You yes, know? I, I I think that was still very much a part of his uh, uh, DNA, and 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 I and you know I commend him for being, you know, such a, a, a great um, uh, political player because it kept him around so that uh, you know he could do some of those uh, commando little things in the background that uh, kept people on track. And then he could also communicate this to, to new Imagineers so that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and lead them in, in, in the right direction. Yeah. And also I, I talked to him when he was in the midst of writing his first book and he had this portfolio, he hand wrote his books he, yes, I mean, all by hand, and he had these post-it notes because he either was going to the archives or he had just come back from the archives, and mm-hmm. and everything was written out. And he said he has somebody else, you know, transcribe them. But right. uh, but I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> he hand wrote yeah, out. Yeah, and and, and he he books. actually built a a little room to work on writing the book, and he built it so that the walls were pinnable. So you could actually pin up sections, and then he could move it around, just like a storyboard, you know. And because I asked him, how come you didn't? I, I thought, well, you know, it's being published by Disney Editions, and I know that they go over these things very carefully because they don't want to, you know, disrupt the Disney brand. I said, so how come you left out this story and this story? And, and he said, well, it was just because of the flow of what I wanted to tell. This made sense. He says, I, I'm, I'm going to write another book. In fact, he, he told me one of the books he wanted to, to write was uh, at Imagineering. They had a wall where um, 
you know, the, uh, uh, if he heard a, uh, a terrific quote or something, he would write it down on an index card and, and pin it up on, on, on the wall. So for, for instance, George Lucas said, uh, uh, the reason cliches are cliches is because they work. And, um, uh, uh, Card Walker was talking to, uh, John Cushman, who, who was a contractor building Epcot and, and, and Card said, uh, uh, are we going to have any trouble meeting October 1st, 1982? And Cushman said, October 1st was never a problem. 1982 is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I said, oh, what a great idea. And he says, yeah, I'd like to do that. And he, and he said he also saved uh, dozens of uh, sketches that were done in Imagineering meetings, basically doodles by people like John Hench and Joe Rohde and uh, uh, Herb Ryman and all that. He saved all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, no. oh, oh. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a Disney historian, Didier uh, Getz, and oh, yeah. when Marty died, he said one of the tragedies. He says there's a lot of a lot of tragedy connected with this. He said one of these tragedies is that he still had so many stories left to tell that only he knew. Now, now you mentioned um, Herb Ryman. I know one uh, of the charities that that uh, Marty and his wife Leah um, really supported uh, was the, was the well, Ryman they, Arts. They, actually, actually, they were one of the original founders too. The mm-hmm. the Ryman Arts, yeah. Can so can you tell us a little about the Ryman Arts? Um, why, sure. It, it, it's not like we've gone over the amount of time that we're, we're allotted. We we have plenty of time to talk about all sorts of things. Yeah, well, just briefly <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Uh, Basically, Herb Ryman, uh, a terrific uh, uh, artist, worked on, on Disney uh, animated films, but then uh, he's probably best known for you know doing the uh, uh, sketch that you know sold Disneyland and, and the design for the uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty Castle, also the design for uh, Cinderella Castle uh, out here. Uh, so. When he passed away, um, Marty and his wife were uh, among, I think there were six original founders that created the Ryman Arts Foundation, and it, its purpose was to uh, teach traditional drawing and painting skills to talented young artists in, in Southern California. And uh, because, you know, especially in Southern California, they were cutting back on public art education and and uh, uh, all of that. And so... Uh, basically, you know, uh, 150 high school artists each year, you know, are, are, are supported. They provide, uh, 2,500, uh, full scholarships to Southern California students, you know, to, to go on. And, um, uh, and something, uh, that, uh, many people don't know is that Marty and his wife, Leah, uh, established the Martin and Leah, uh, Scalar scholarship for Ryman program graduates at, uh, Cal arts. So, uh, that's there as well. And, and so, uh, a lot of the funding from this comes from, um, uh, the sale of, uh, Herb Ryman's, uh, art, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of that uh, around. There's a, there's an auction. It, it's a charity, and 
all of that. And, and you know, we, we keep mentioning uh, uh, Marty's wife. Uh, they got married in 1957. 1957. Wow. And uh, they had uh, uh, two kids, a, a son who... Uh, uh, became a, a teacher and a daughter who uh, I think uh, worked in uh, motion pictures uh, doing uh, uh, script reading and, and, and analysis. And then they had uh, uh, four grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So, uh, interesting life. Interesting yeah, life. Yeah. Now, Marty and, did and, receive... And so, you know, 83 years old, so you go, my gosh, look what this guy has done, you know? What have That's I done amazing. with my life? It, it, it's <laughs> not even a blip on his resume here. But, it, but it's still sad that he he's not around, and I won't be able to hear him and 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 listen to these great stories. Yeah. Well, now he did receive a number of awards uh, in 2001. He was recognized as a Disney legend. He mm-hmm. received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Theme Entertainment Association, TIA, in yes. 1995. He was inducted into the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, or IAPA, um, Hall of Fame. In mm-hmm. 2016, uh, he was awarded the Diane Disney Miller Lifetime Achievement Award from yes, the Walt I, Disney I think Family he was the Museum. First one to get that too, yeah. He was, and and he served on its advisory board. He was a great friend of the museum, and mm-hmm. uh, and then he wrote two books: um, "Dream It, Do It: My Half Century Creating Disney's Magic Kingdoms" and "One Little Spark: The Road to Imagineerings." And of course, these books will continue to spark and inspire the imaginations of generations to come. So, and, um, and so for those of you listening, those should be added to your uh, Disney library, especially if you're uh, uh, interested in Imagineering or, you know, how Imagineering does that. And then, of course, Mickey's Ten Commandments, which he expanded, I think, to what, 40? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have that sitting here, <laughs> at least the first version of it. <laughs> yes. So, and, so, um, it, so uh, uh, very fascinating, very, very art, art, articulate. And as, as you pointed out, um, you know, uh, very much a, um, a champion uh, for maintaining uh, 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 Walt's spirit, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at Disney, you know, yeah. um, for, for, for that uh, to happen. You know, yeah. and when you're picking up um, Marty's books uh, and you're looking on Amazon, don't forget to look for Jim Corcus, well, K-O-R-K-I-S. That was my next little lead in here, Jim. You are the author of over 20 Disney-related books. Yes, so can, isn't that amazing that I have that much to say? <laughs> um, so can you tell our listeners a little more about that and you know how they can get a hold of your books? Uh, yes. Uh, again, um, one of the things that uh, struck me uh, was... Uh, as uh, people started to pass away, it was like, wait a minute. I sat down and I talked with this person and I took notes and, uh, you know, and they're not around anymore. And, and he told me these stories and those stories aren't out there. And so I, I, I felt a, a, a responsibility um, to help keep their memory alive by, by sharing those stories. And then I also saw an awful lot of uh, inaccurate material out there that people had a tendency to to cut and paste and like uh, well if it's on the internet it must be true 
or if it's in a book, it must be true. And that's not necessarily uh, the case. So my very first book, The Vault of Walt, has a, a foreword by uh, Diane Disney Miller, who, who was a huge supporter. And um, she wanted me to, to do more to, to get that material out there. And so uh, I, there are uh, five books in the Vault of Walt series. There's a sixth one coming out at Christmas time and divided into four sections. One, one section has uh, stories about Walt Disney. Another section has stories about Disney films, both animated and live action. Another section has uh, uh, stories about the theme parks. And then uh, the fourth section is uh, miscellaneous, like how um, uh, the uh, uh, Disney housekeeper, Thelma uh, Howard, passed away as a millionaire and didn't realize it. <laughs> because Walt would give her uh, stock certificates on her birthday and at Christmas and, and told her, hang on to these. These are going to be worth something someday. <laughs> and so she never looked at them. And then with stock splits and all this, she was a millionaire when she died and had no clue, no clue whatsoever. And so uh, there's several stories in, in, in each uh, uh, section. Uh, an, another uh, series that has proven very popular and um, – uh, I, I moved out to uh, Walt Disney World in uh, 1995, fall of 1995, and I worked in entertainment, and I worked for uh, Imagineering. I worked for uh, uh, Disney University, Disney Institute, and, and along the way, I picked up you know, a, a lot of great information, and it doesn't appear in any books. So I, I wrote a book called Secret Stories of Walt Disney World which was a selection of stories about the theme parks and the resorts and uh, the area outside the, the resorts, like Typhoon Lagoon and uh, uh, all of that, and then some miscellaneous history uh, uh, stuff. Each chapter is only two pages long, because I know we have short attention spans, but all of the information in there is uh, accurate. I, 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 I had... Uh, uh, went to at least uh, three different sources, independent sources, as, as opposed to, well, this source agrees with this, but it looks like they just cut and pasted it from here. And so there are three books in the um, Secret Stories of Walt Disney uh, World uh, series. And then just this last year, I wrote a book, uh, Secret Stories of Disneyland, because I was starting to see, uh, I thought, I'm never going to write a book about Disneyland. My gosh, there's so many books out there. There's so many websites. There's so many podcasts. There's so many, you know. But a lot of that stuff was completely wrong. So mm -hmm. I wrote secret stories of Disneyland, including uh, the story of the two known Nazis who influenced the design of Disneyland. In okay. fact, one of them was not just a Nazi. He was an SS officer. And he was not just an SS officer, he was Adolf Hitler's chief interrogation officer. And in fact, he was so effective and so important that the U.S. military sort of fudged on the paperwork to get him after the war transferred to the United States so he could teach his techniques to the U.S. military. But he worked on Disneyland. He also worked on Walt Disney World. You have to buy the book to find that out. Yeah. And... Um, I, I write a bunch of other books, too. One of my worst-selling books, I loved writing it, but my, one of my worst-selling books was called Walt's Words, 
which are quotes, direct quotes from Walt Disney, not paraphrased or anything like that. And each quote lists the date that it was said, where Walt said it, the context in which it was said, and it's divided up into 24 different uh, uh, categories. So there's a category of his quotes on, on women, his category of quotes on animation, on, on, on animals. And I thought, everybody, their mother is going to want mm-hmm. this book. Nobody or their mother wants this book. I bought it. It's, I'm looking at it right now because that's, I have two rooms mm-hmm. of Disney books, and in my study I have the ones I use regularly. That one's mm-hmm. in my study. Because oh, I do good. pull that one out regularly. So you're the one who bought the book. Thank you. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's there's that, and in and in fact, this last week, I uh, just turned in the manuscript for my latest book, which will be out uh, early November. It may be out late October. It may be out early November, and. And would you like a hint? Because it's already in the process. All it's going through now is the editing and format and all that. Would you like a hint of what this book is going to be about? Oh, absolutely. You're always good about giving our listeners sneak previews. So, yes, yes. It, it's going to be about <laughs> 200 pages. So, I, <laughs> no, I, I will tell you that one fourth of the book is devoted to chapters debunking myths about Walt Disney. Oh, that'll be interesting. So there's a chapter about how Walt was not frozen. There's a chapter about how Walt was not anti-Semitic. There's a chapter about how Walt was not an FBI informant. There's a chapter about how Walt was not born in Spain. And this is not the case of my just saying, well, this just doesn't seem to make sense, you know, knowing Walt. Every chapter has documentation. So, for instance, Walt was not frozen. Mm-hmm. I interviewed the only cryogenics company that existed when Walt passed away. I interviewed Forest Lawn and got a copy of the death certificate with the name of the embalmer, or, or actually the person who, who cremated Walt, the cremate and the 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 uh, um, state stamp and all of that. And even after doing all of that, I showed this to a friend of mine and her response was, well, you know, documents can be forged. Oh, of course. But- I, I remember during one of your talks at the Walt Disney Family Museum, you did a Q&A afterwards. I think you were talking about um, Walt and yes. space program. And this question invariably came up. And Diane oh, yes. Disney Miller was in the audience and she stood up and she debunked it but she t- and she talked about how much pain that story yes, causes it, it family, gave the but, whole family because uh, her, of, her children were uh, mm-hmm. she told me this her, her children mm-hmm. uh, in elementary school were constantly being asked isn't your grandfather frozen yeah but she talked about where they finally tracked down the publication that the, yes, they and think that's listed it, it, in it this originated chapter. okay well they'll mm-hmm. have to read the book to find that out Yes. But I was there. I heard it <laughs> from Diane. And, and and Diane, what what a wonderful wonderful person, and what a loss. What you know, mm-hmm. a tragic accident. 
Yes. You know, Diane, Diane is, was in better shape than I was when I was 20. You know, when I was there at the museum, you know, she would bound up those steps two, oh, at, two a at a time. Two at a time, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and boy, she was a maverick, and she was, you know, she, was, she would not suffer fools lightly. <laughs> no, no, she would but, not. <laughs> but yes, that, that, that question keeps coming up. And so questions that keep getting tossed at me. Well, Walt Disney was court-martialed, right? No, no, he wasn't court-martialed, you know. He was racist. No, he wasn't racist. You know, it, in fact, if you just took a look at the, the recent PBS uh, documentary on Tai Wong, he's a, a Chinese artist who, you know, was the main concept artist for for Bambi, for crying out loud, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but, but yes, a, a fourth of the book uh, it goes through, there's uh, 12 chapters. Each chapter debunks, uh, you know, um, uh, a myth about Walt Disney. The rest of the book is filled with material that has never appeared in print before. Oh, we'll look forward to uh, so it's, yeah. That so it, it, it's not a reworking of that. And again, it'll it, it'll come out by the beginning of no, November or the a, end of October. It's in it's in the hands of the uh, uh, publisher now, who, who goes through and does the editing and the the layout and. Okay. And so this will be. And we will soon. have then, a link. What? <laughs> yes, have okay. have a link to Amazon.com and also ThemeParkPress.com. Theme mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us on Connecting with Walt to share your memories of Marty Sklar. This was always a, a, a joy. Always a joy to talk to people who are passionate about Disney. And and may all your days be Disney days. Thank you. Well, Jim shared some great stories about Marty Scalar. Yeah, he's just always uh, just packed full of more stories than you can ever expect. And all just so fascinating. It, it, yeah, he is. And he has great insights. Uh, I, it's wonderful that, you know, he met Marty and had all these notes. He had told us before the show that in preparation for the show, he went into his archive of notes and shared stories he had, that Jim had not even yet written down anywhere. So that was a, a, a very nice um, plus for um, for all of uh, for our connecting with Walt family. So I, I'm glad we were able to to give Marty a, a tribute that you know he deserves, especially for all of us. On connecting with Walt, you know, who have an appreciation for Disney history, and um, and and for how Marty carried on that connection with Walt, you know, in the theme parks throughout his life. So, so next week, um, Craig and I will step into the future as we take you through the history of the Great Big Beautiful Tomorrowland. So, Craig, until then, where can our listeners see you on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? I am here and there and everywhere, <laughs> basically on every show throughout the week on the Diz Unplugged channel. So, you throw a rock, chances are you are going to hit me in uh, some way, shape, or form. But, yes, that's where I'll be. And... uh, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the next episode is released, you will be traveling, won't you? 
I will. I, I wasn't going to drop that one until um, the last episode. And I'll say, hey, guess what? I haven't really been here this whole time. We'll, we'll preserve so, the secret then. Okay. So, um, but yes, we're going to have a very special episode for you at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, although you'll probably figure it out if you listen to the Disneyland show when I'm suddenly gone. <laughs> for, but uh, but now we can we can talk about it. We as uh, Craig mentioned a little earlier in the show that we do record these in advance. We're recording these well in advance because I am fortunate enough to be joining the. Um, Diz on the on the Dreams Unlimited Travel um, China Adventures by Disney tour. So as you're listening to our October um, episodes, I'm traveling Japan and China um, with with a whole lot of Dizzers. So so I'm so I, I'm sure I'm having a wonderful time. Well, I hope <laughs> you're having like a once in a lifetime trip right now oh this is a once in a lifetime (laughs) trip believe me and uh, and uh and so the final episode of this month's uh series uh will be uh, my talking about the trip uh sharing yeah sharing of sharing um you know what what connections to walt did i find in in you know the tokyo uh, hong kong and shanghai um parks as well as as some of the other sites that that I saw and my, my other adventures. And I'm sure I'll have a couple of misadventures to share as well. Wouldn't be a trip without them. No, no. And um, you can find me most Sunday nights on the Disney Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition, with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulata-Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, as well as the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. And you can um, listen to us live on Mixler, Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland Time. And you can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. And if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, you can check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes, and you can look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And as Craig did mention in a previous episode, we are going to start over the course of time, um, moving my history episodes from the Disneyland show over to the Connecting with Walt feed so that it'll all be one-stop shopping for for Disney history. Although we're not going to do it all at once. We are going to sort of string it out. (laughs) Exactly. We'll sprinkle it here and there when we need to. It'll be like pixie dust. (laughs) We'll just sprinkle it here and there. Um, you can send me messages at Twitter at mbowling121. Um, oh, I lost my page here. Um, you think I would know all this by heart, wouldn't you? But <laughs> I, yes, Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. On Instagram, I'm, um, M, I'm Michael Bowling. The Diz. Thank you. I just found it too. So anyway. Um, I, I all my pages from Jim just are all shuffled up here. Yeah. So anyway, it's a good thing I so, listen every week. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing: that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs> <laughs>